Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast with John McMahon and John Kaplan. This podcast is brought to you by Force Management. There's no better way to build revenue than by improving sales. Force's solutions help companies, teams, and individuals accelerate sales performance. Today, a segment with six-time CFO Murray Demo. He's led at Adobe, Postini, LiveOps, Dolby Labs, Atlassian, and Rubrik. Murray talks through being in alignment with the CRO and the best things to do when pushing through a tough economy. Listen in. What I have found, though, is the best sales leaders are actually business leaders. They made a transition from carrying the bag and trying to make their number and tunnel vision and closing business, which you have to do to start your career. But as you progress up, the ones that are the most successful, they turn into business leaders and they're trying to solve a problem more at a company level than it's just for a specific sales-oriented activity. And those are the ones that ultimately become CEOs. They have great careers. They make a lot more money than they did if they stay in that sort of tunnel vision sales orientation, and it makes it a lot easier for everyone else in the organization to work with them, support them and their teams. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. fighting everybody, right? Because they think it's Correct. all about just them and their teams and, their my, and they have a myopic view of what's really happening at the company level. Correct. And CFOs have that same trap. Is <laughs> you can be the, you know, the no person to everybody. Yes. And you do not help the company achieve what it can. So you kind of have some of the same challenges. You've got to find common ground with all the different leaders in the organization, understand enough about their businesses, their concerns, their needs to try to help them. Again, I failed miserably many times at this, but I tried hard to, to do the best I could to be a partner across the entire organization. So, yeah, Johnny so you don't I, have a... Johnny and I once worked for a CFO that said no so many times. We used to call him Ebenezer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Murray, you don't have a plaque on your desk any time in your career that said Dr. No. Uh, I've had uh, as bad as Grim Reaper. There you go. Hey, <laughs> let me ask a question because you touched on it really quickly and I really liked it. I, that was going to be one of my questions for you. Can you go a little deeper on the profile for an ideal CRO? And you've had such great experience with 10 different companies. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the other high business acumen? They're able to understand company goals and initiatives. Could you give us a little bit more? And if I asked you, has it changed now in these times? Or are there any updates for these times? What would be your comments? Well, I think the ones that are most successful, again, as I said, they became business leaders, not just sales leaders. Um, the same can be said for a CFO. Did you become a business leader or are you that sort of finance say no person? So um, what what I've seen, though, is the ones that they, they want to understand more about the product and the technology, they're engaged in the strategic planning process because strategic planning process is really just a process to identify priorities to fund. So you want to seat at the table if you're a leader, including sales, to how, how do my priorities or the company priorities get funded? And does, does my team know that I utilize my seat at the table as well as I could to try to better the sales organization? And so it's, again, that business leader is really involved in strategy, tries to understand in finance what the issues are, try to understand 
What is Wall Street looking for? Um, engaged in things like the press, et cetera, not just in you know customers and partners, but really kind of becoming that business executive. And what happens is, is that if you show an interest in someone else's organization and it's genuine, they'll want to do the same in your organization. Yeah. And you start to build this bond and partnership. And when you know where that person's coming from, when they really need some help, and maybe you got to take a deal you don't want to take, you'll do it for them because you know that they're trying to do the best they can to solve the company's goals, not just the sales goals. And I think that applies to really anybody in, in business. But that's what I've really seen. When things get tough, and so because I've, you know, had a you know forty-year career now, I've been through a lot of recessions. The reality is, is when the recession hits, customers just don't have as much money to buy things, and so you're going to have to pull back in marketing, and you're going to have to pull back on sales. And so, does that person fight it, or do they look for ways to say, "Hey, look, we could actually invest more here. We'll cut back there to optimize in the current environment." Again, the person that was involved in strategy that was closer to the business. They're the ones that will help get the company to the right outcome as opposed to be seen as sort of the complainer. They didn't get what they wanted and actually they hurt the company because we need their voice and we don't actually optimize the best we can in the environment. Great advice. Yeah, it goes back to being a business partner instead of just the CRO and understanding that you are running a business and there are trade-offs in any business. And things change. They they change from one quarter. Sometimes in some of the growth companies I've been, I used to say to the CFO and the CEO, it feels like we're a different company 90 days later. There's different yeah. issues, there's different things that we need to be concerned about. Totally. So Murray, when you look at sales performance, if we could just change gears yeah. a little bit, what are some of the key metrics that you as a CFO looked for in sales performance? Well, I'm probably, you know, even though my career started in financial planning and analysis, and I'm all about the data and analyzing it for what it is, yeah. um, I wouldn't say I'm the most experienced sales um, CFO for direct enterprise sales organization in every metric because of sort of this varied career that I've had. Um, there's tons of people in the organization that generate lots of metrics and things like that. Um, the first thing, though, that I do look at is I just want to see on the sales leaders, and that can be, you know, a district, regional, geographic level. Do you have a command for the business? Like, do you know where you're at? I, I don't want to have the salesperson that has 89 great days in a quarter and just one bad one. It just happens to be the 90th. We all get surprised and we go back into 89 great days in a row again. Yeah. Um, I want someone that really is close to forecast. If it's not going well, they call it early. We try to figure out for some things we do, can do to support or adjust, but they just have a command. And if they do, that means they're inspecting the business. They're looking at the deals every week. They're not just sort of taking what they hear. They're sort of challenging and digging in at the you know various levels within their organization to get to the truth. That means that they're committed to trying to figure out how to improve it as opposed to just sort of acting surprised at the end of the quarter. So that's the first thing I'll always look at. I'd say the metric that I'll also look at is just, do you have enough pipe? Because usually when you miss a quarter and you hear all about this deal slipped and that deal, and if we would have closed this, we would have made it. It's really the problem was there wasn't enough pipe at the beginning of the quarter and everything had to go perfect. 
And maybe it does for a quarter, but the next quarter it's going to fail because you just didn't have enough pipe. So I will look at pipe a lot and just seeing how it's moving through the funnel to try to get an understanding. I'll spend my time kind of in that area. Uh, the other area I'll look at is discounting. Uh, the discounting, sure, you know, it's going to affect revenue and profitability, but if there's a lot of discounting, then probably there's not been enough sales training. The, the salespeople don't understand the product as well. They're not addressing the right use cases. And so they're just going in and basically going in with price to try to close. And so I'll tend to kind of look at that as a, as a, there's something going on there. Somebody needs help in their team. Yeah, and a lot of times that goes right back to not having enough pipeline. So they hang on to these deals. Yep. And in order to close, they either don't close at the end on the 90th day, like you said, yeah. or they close, but on a really heavy discount because it never yes. really was a deal. It wasn't properly right. managed. You're trying to like force 90 or 180 days of selling into you know, a much smaller time frame. So you, because you didn't do a good job selling. And right. you didn't do a good job selling because you didn't have enough pipe, pipeline. And then going back to your earlier point, John and I always talk about command and control, like you said, con control and command over the business. And the best forecasters are usually the best qualifiers. They're constantly qualifying deals, constantly yeah. qualifying their salespeople. Like why, how come, what's, what happens next? All those types of questions so that you can early in the quarter, wipe those deals off the, off the, when there's like 10 weeks to go, wipe them off the forecast. And maybe you have a chance to get some real deals into the pipeline so you can close them 90 days later. Yep, so we've seen that. So, hey, Johnny, I got a quick question um, before we transition. Sure. Murray, budgeting this year has been very, very difficult for most companies. Anxious to hear from you, how do you balance lean budget? I don't, that's not the right way to put it, but fiscal responsibility with agility. Somebody explained it to me. It's like building a boat going out to sea. You got to build it so it can withstand waves. But if the waves aren't as big as you thought they were going to be, you've got to be agile enough to move your way around the ocean really fast. And I don't know if that analogy works for you, but companies are really, really struggling with that now. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're up and to the right for a long period of time, it's, it gets real easy. And then when you have headwinds, then you kind of find out, you know, really how good you are and do you have a command of the business? And, um, you know, I sort of two answers to that. You know, one is agreeing as a management team, what are we going to do when the headwinds, when we face them, what are we going to prioritize? We leave the numbers aside for a moment. Just talk about what is it that we can't stop doing or even accelerate? And what is it that we have to basically put on hold? And agreeing on that in sort of more of a strategic point of view. So I'll give you an example. I remember at Adobe when the recession hit 01, 02, and it got tough. And Adobe has a challenge where the first things that companies will cut when they face a headwinds, they cut marketing spend, variable marketing spend, which is core to Adobe. This is now back 20 years ago. And when the economy picks up, the first thing you'll do is spend variable marketing before you hire people because you yeah. can always pull back on us. So Adobe usually comes out of it early. What we agreed during that time as a management team is, is that we were going to innovate faster and that we were going to focus on segmenting Acrobat and coming out with a creative suite 
which is sort of like the Microsoft office for the creative professional. And we were going to commit dollars to it and energy and really focus as a management team on that and hope that our competition would cut R&D and cut the things that are related to innovation so we could even gap them further. But other areas like sales, marketing, and GNA, we're going to have to put a lot of things on hold or cut. And when we came out of the recession in 03, Creative Suite just hit it perfectly and so did Acrobat and the company just took off. And the next couple of years, it was really easy to be the CFO. You just kind of went around and you just did victory laps, you know, with <laughs> investors. And so that, I think it really comes down to, can the management team do that? Then the other answer to this is, if you haven't been doing what I call planning and control on a consistent basis, and you have a vehicle to adjust quickly, then you're kind of trying to do it seriously for the first time and you're just gonna suffer. And your employees are really gonna see yeah. it because they're gonna see either peanut butter spreading of, of funding on things, but nothing gets enough money or cutting the wrong thing or what's hot today is cold in two weeks. And the employees are like, why do I wanna to commit to anything? They're just gonna change it again in four weeks. So you really need to have a planning control framework in place so that when it comes, you just kind of adjust with that as a tool and you keep on moving. And unfortunately, most companies struggle with that. And one of the bigger challenges usually is the CEO allows the, what I call sort of the backdoor plea. Yeah. Where they fund someone's little private project that the management team agreed wasn't a priority and everybody else finds out the back door's working and everybody runs over there and goes in that door. And the CEO undermines the whole process of prioritization that they just had a meeting on the week before. And the employees see all this because they fishtail the most, you know, from the head of the management team. So anyways, there's a few thoughts on that. How about how far down in an organization, in your experience in the sales organization, from a budgeting perspective, how far do you think it should go? Like, where should the burden of budgeting really lie? Because I've seen different people, you know, just give people a number, have people participate in their own rescue on the number. What, what has been your experience? People that aren't ready for it, they get burdened with it. Everybody says they want a P&L and then they get a P&L and they get paralyzed. Well, I'd say I'm probably a little more in the prescriptive camp. I think the executive team has to basically make the hard calls and set the priorities, um, you know, through conversation, but basically say, you know, here is, uh, here is the, uh, here's the priorities, here's your funding and kind of here's your headcount. And because a lot of people down the organization, they're not set up to really do that. They don't have the perspective across the organization to optimize effectively. And so, um, I think the executive team has to drive a lot of that in partnership with maybe the next, the next layer down. But that's where it can get a little political also, right? Because each, once the CEO says, we got to tighten the budgets, then all of a sudden everybody knows the game that's about to be played. So the tech sticking up for all the projects and they have all the reasons why we can't cut this project, right. that project, and because everybody else is going to suffer if we cut it. But again, that goes back to maybe your original comments on you really need business partners around the table that can really look at the big picture and the effect that it's going to have on the entire company performance, right? 
Totally agree with that. You know, it's, I also think the compensation programs have an impact on that. You know, I think some organizations, the sales leadership, as you go up, they're still sort of on this cash quota. They get paid out on deals and they don't have actually enough stock. And I think of being thoughtful about how that transitions to just making a total number, don't get paid on deals, you get paid more on stock, they'll put the business leader hat on. So I think there has to be some thoughtfulness about how you transition from, you know, here's your quota, here's what you can do on accelerators, it's all cash, to start mixing in more stock as you go. And as you move up, and I think that will help incent the sales organization to become business leaders to optimize around company performance and not just you know, generating, you know, their cash. Right. Johnny was talking about that this morning, that sometimes you can have, you know, the executives put together new strategies, but it's misaligned with the way in which people are paid. So then the employees just check their compensation plan. And if I'm first or second line sales leader, it says, when my people sell more, I get paid more. So you can forget to them. They're saying, you can forget about your corporate strategy. I know what I'm going to do. And right. so there's misalignment, right? And there's, they don't, they don't adapt quickly enough for the company. Completely agree. Such a great conversation with John Kaplan, John McMahon and Murray Demo. If you want to get in the mind of a CFO, be sure to check out the whole episode. We've linked it in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Revenue Builders. Have a great week.